We are currently in a series called The Great Victories of the Bible. And today we're going to be uh, studying the life of Jonathan, his early life. And so if you want to uh, look in the scripture yourself, you can turn to 1 Samuel 13 and 14. And we'll be taking our um, account from those two chapters today. Let's establish a little bit of background so uh, what we share today will um, be more uh, understandable. The Israelites and the Philistines were constantly at war. They were, um, it, it seems like no matter how far back you go in the relationship between the two nations that um, there was conflict and there was war. And that was because they were so close um, geographically. Uh, Philistia was a little strip of land along the Mediterranean Sea and um, the nation of Israel bordered their land. Um, it was an area of land that God had promised to the Israelites. And for some reason, when they went in to take possession of the land of Canaan, that was an area that they did not take possession of or, or clear away. And so the Philistines remained and they were um, a thorn in the flesh of the Israelites for years and years. So uh, when Samuel was uh, the judge of Israel, because of his uh, extreme faith in God and his uh, great leadership, things went well. But as he grew older, the people of the nation of Israel, they looked at his sons and his sons did not follow his ways. They were, they were um, self-motivated people men and uh, they were not the, cut out of the same bolt of cloth that that Samuel was and so um, they pleaded with Samuel and they said we would like to have a king like all the other nations and one of the things that they asked for they said we want to have a king so that um, he can go out and fight our battles for us that was a key factor they viewed it having a king as being a means of security for them and so um, they, they pleaded with Samuel. Samuel talked to the Lord and um, God said, you know, they're, they're really rejecting me. Their trust in me is what's at stake. So go ahead and give them what they ask and I'll lead you to the man that I've chosen. And so God led Samuel to uh, Saul, King Saul. And um, he began to lead Israel. And one of the first things that he did was to establish an army and um, he began to uh, gather men to himself. Um, they uh, initially, Saul gathered 3,000 men and uh, 2,000 were under his command and 1,000 were under the command of his son, Jonathan. And uh, so there was, there was a constant... Um, Oh, constant raiding on the part of the Philistines. And this was a time in which the Israelites were under subjection. They were, they were not free. They were being picked at constantly by the Philistines and being dominated by them. And uh, it was not a pleasant time. And so um, Jonathan, we, we don't have a lot of information about him, but there's a few things. And 
today's lesson, I think, will really reveal a lot about the character of Jonathan. Uh, so rather than just sit with um, a thousand men under his command, Jonathan decides on his own that he's going to attack a Philistine um, garrison. And so he does that. He attacks a Philistine garrison or outpost. And um, this creates uh, consternation on the part of the Philistines. They become angry. And of course, uh, this is a declaration of war on their part. And so they, they began uh, calling their troops and they amass a group of men to fight against the Israelites. And so uh, I'd like to read you from 1 Samuel 13, 5 through 7. We'll read about the force that they were able to amass for this battle. Starting in verse 5, the Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers. And you put that together, so there's two, uh, two soldiers per chariot. And then it says, soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. These would have been foot soldiers. And they went up and they camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. When the Israelites, and, uh, and so at this point, um, let me just say also that Israel had called out troops as well. It doesn't give us numbers for theirs, but Saul issued a general call to the, the men of Israel and asked them to come together. Uh, to fight the Philistines. And so they did, they came, and this is their reaction. When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in the caves and thickets, among the rocks and in the pits and cisterns. And let's wait just a minute before we read that next verse. So um, the Israelites gathered, and as they saw these Philistine troops, which um, the writer of 1 Samuel said they were as many as the sand on the seashore. Now that's a figure of speech, but it does give the impression of a lot of troops, uh, so many that they couldn't be counted. And uh, when the Israelites saw these Philistine troops, they began to hide. And uh, let's read verse 7 as well. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Uh, so uh, if, you'll, if you just think geography for a minute, the Jordan River separated um, the land of Canaan from the land obviously east of the Jordan. That region in the north area in, in Gilead um, had been given to the tribe of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, and to Reuben. And so part of Israel lived in that, uh, in that part of the world. And, uh, but by the troops crossing the river, they were in essence committing AWOL. They were leaving um, battle. They were afraid to fight. And so they were hiding and they were running away. And it says that Saul remained at Gilgal and all the troops with him we're quaking with fear. This gives us a real picture of what was happening at this time. So many men had defected uh, that Saul was left with only 600 men 
And uh, this is stated elsewhere in the 13th chapter. Uh, We won't take time to look at it right now. And to make matters worse, um, the Israelite soldiers didn't have proper weapons. They didn't have swords or spears. Let's read about that for just a minute. Let's look at uh, chapter 13, verse 22. So on the day of battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or a spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. The reason for that was that the Philistines controlled the blacksmiths of the area. And because of their domination of Israel, they would not allow any blacksmith to operate in the land of Israel. All the blacksmiths were in Philistia. And so um, if an Israelite had an implement that he needed made for farming, he would have to go to Philistia to have it made. Because the Philistines did not want Israelites having the ability to create weapons. And so their strategy worked. On the day of battle, Saul and Jonathan have a sword and a spear and no one else does. And I can't imagine what they're fighting with. Probably clubs and sticks of some kind. uh, Maybe farm implements that they had um, made into weapons. But that's, that's the nature of what was, was uh, happening there. They were, they were in tremendous fear and they were um, at a great disadvantage because they had no weapons. Well, once again, Jonathan is part of all of this. And he decides that rather than just sitting and uh, hiding and quaking in fear... He's going to do something about the situation. And so I'd like for us to read 1 Samuel 14, verses 6 and 7. So in the midst of all this fear and all of this disadvantage that they're experiencing, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. That phrase, uncircumcised men, was a derogatory term that Jews used towards pagans. And uh, that was a term that Jonathan used towards the Philistines. He says, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And then his armor bearer says, do all that you have in mind. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. And so um, it seems like Jonathan just sort of has this wild harebrained idea one day saying, why are we sitting here? Let's, Let's go see if we can fight these guys. Maybe something good will come out of it. Like he didn't give it a thought and he was just careless. And um, that's one way to view it. Another way to view it is that Perhaps God was actually speaking to him and stirring him, though we don't have that specific um, description of Jonathan at this point, but you be the judge as we go along. I want to read a, a psalm to you today, and if you'll join me in Psalm 18, verse 29, uh, David, in, in penning this psalm, said this, 
With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. Now, keep that verse in mind as, as we continue to read. Um, for sure, the first part of it, we've already uh, seen Jonathan express that, even though this was written after Jonathan's um, encounter with the Philistines. But perhaps David was thinking about Jonathan and his courage when he wrote that uh, psalm. So Jonathan uh, devised this scheme, and he shares this with his armor bearer. And I'd like for us to talk it through before we actually read about the encounter. Um, He said to his armor bearer, here's our strategy as we go against this Philistine outpost. And the Philistine outpost was up high. And so it was something, if they were going to go up there, they would have to climb up to it. And uh, he said, what we'll do is we'll come out of hiding, we'll show ourselves to the Philistine outpost. If they call down to us and say, wait there until we come to you, we'll stay put. But if they say, come up here, we'll go up because that's the sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So at some point, Jonathan felt like he had been given a sign by the Lord. And the sign was that the Philistines would call them up to the outpost. Now, they weren't calling them up to have coffee. It was about a battle. It was about fighting. And so um, let's see what happened. Let's read the story. So they, they show themselves... And uh, pick it up now in verse 12. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, and you can, you can feel the excitement in his voice. He says, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. See, they said the, the words that were the sign to him that God had given them the victory. So He wasn't afraid. Him and his armor bearer against however many were up there. He said, this is it. Let's go. And he's excited. Here's what happened. They climbed up. And as they climbed up to fight the Philistines and they encountered them, God gave them the victory. They began to kill them one by one when Jonathan would spear somebody, his armor bearer would come behind him and finish the person off, and they had a great victory. The scripture says that they killed 20 Philistines up in that outpost in about a half-acre plot. Now that's two men against 20. That's a significant thing. How did that affect the rest of the army? Let's read about that now. And this is uh, 1 Samuel 14, 15, and 16. Then panic struck the whole army. Those in the camp and field and those in the outposts and raiding parties. And the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. Let's stop there for just a minute. God had evidently stirred Jonathan to do this harebrained thing. And Jonathan um, 
carried it out. He had this sign that if they called them up, that was God's sign that he would deliver them. And when they said it, Jonathan was excited and he and his armor bearer went up and they, they did a mighty thing. But God was in it. And when they did their part, when they stepped out in faith and were courageous and obeyed God, God began to work in an even mightier way. And here's what happened. The ground shook. Now, what is that like? That's like an earthquake, isn't it? I've, I've been in a few earthquakes, nothing very um, large enough to take down a building, but I've felt the ground shake. Um, that's, that's an awesome thing, to feel the ground shake under your, ground, under your feet. And I can imagine this was significant enough that it, would, it inspired fear in these men. They're standing on solid ground and it's moving. And, and then God puts a panic in them. And, and it's a panic sent by God. Their spirits are fearful and they're, 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 they're afraid. And so it's not that Jonathan initiated uh, what happened. It was that God used him to be the catalyst to get things going. And then God um, came in and he began to clean up and he began to do the thing that he had had in mind all along. But God partnered with a man who was willing to take his life in his hands and to do what God asked him to do. This is exciting stuff. And uh, so let's, let's finish the story. Verse 16, Saul's lookouts at Gibeah in Benjamin saw the Philistine army melting away in all directions. Let's go on to the next verse. Then Saul and all his men assembled and they went to the battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. See, that's a God-sent panic. God did that. But Jonathan was the catalyst. He was, he was what God used to get this whole thing started. Okay, let's read on. When all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim, these are all these men who were hiding in caves and thickets, heard that the Philistines were on the run, they came out and they joined the battle in hot pursuit. On that day, the Lord saved Israel and the battle moved beyond beth Aven. So this was a great victory in the life of Israel. And it was a victory that uh, very much involved a single man doing a courageous act. And that man was Jonathan. I fully believe that it was not Jonathan's strength that did that. I don't even believe that it was his courage. I believe that it was his faith that he, he believed God so strongly that he believed God could do anything. And so he engaged in something that he just felt was stirring in his heart to do. Um, it makes me think of other situations in the Bible where people have done courageous things. Um, let's talk about some of those. Probably the most logical thing to think about is Jonathan's perhaps best friend, David. 
um, when you think about what David did against Goliath, it was a very similar thing. Um, David took his life in his hands, something he shouldn't have done as a young man. Who would have thought of sending a young, inexperienced warrior against a giant who had great experience? And yet God used that. And David knew that it wasn't his great um, precision in throwing a, a sling that, that caused his death, but it was God. God brought him down and God gave the victory that day. And Jonathan knew that that was the case um, as he attacked that outpost as well. It was his faith in God. A couple of other men that you can read about in 2 Samuel 23, and these are exciting stories. One man's name is Eliezer. And it talked about how the Israelite army was, was engaged with the Philistines and the Israelites retreated. And Eliezer refused to retreat. And he stood his ground and he fought the Philistines single-handedly until the scripture said his hand cleaved to the sword. And then the Bible says, and God gave a great victory to Israel that day. And um, the Israelites came back to strip the dead that um, Eliezer had killed. We're not sure how many he killed that day, but it was a great victory for Israel. Another man in that same chapter of 2 Samuel 23, by the name of Shammah. Same thing. Uh, the Israelites are engaged against the Philistines and the Israelites retreat in fear. Shammah stands his ground in a lentil field and he single-handedly fights the, the uh, Philistines until they're defeated. And the Lord again won a great victory that day. What about Jesus? when he came to this earth and went to the cross, he did a courageous thing that day. And when he went to that cross and endured the cross and didn't submit to the temptations of the enemy to come down and to spare himself, but when he died and he rose again, he won a great victory for all of us, that we could be free from sin, be uh, free from Satan's power, and know that we have eternal life, a great victory. There's another man that um, I love to read about. He is a common person, and uh, he's no longer living. His name was Jeremiah Lanfear. Jeremiah Lanfear was a, a businessman and uh, he lived in the city of New York, uh, was a merchant, and he was contracted or contacted by a, a church to come and do ministry for them. The name of the church was the North Dutch Church on Fulton Street in New York. It was a neighborhood that had been uh, changing and some of their congregation had left for more ideal parts of the city. And so the church, in an effort to try to, um, to regain membership and to reach people that were living in that area, had uh, hired this man who had no theological education uh, to come and do ministry for the church, to reach out, basically, to people who were non-churched. Well, he tried some things that 
had limited success. But one thing that he felt that he should do was to start a prayer meeting. And so he started a men's prayer meeting. He put up flyers and announced that um, on this particular day, they would be praying from 12 to 1. At that time, businesses would shut down for an hour in the middle of the day for lunch. And uh, he invited business people to come during their lunch hour, come for the whole hour, to come for part of that time and pray. Well, the first day that he had the prayer meeting, um, he was the only one there when 12 o'clock came. And he prayed by himself for a half an hour. And then another man came at 12.30. And then about 20 minutes later, two more men came and they prayed till one o'clock and that was it. They decided to meet the next week. 20 people came the next week. The week after that, 40 men came. And that began what was known as the Great Revival of 1857-1858. It's estimated that a third, not a third, but 3% of the population of the United States were converted to Christ during that time. Um, All over the country. But it started with a man who believed that God had called him to start a prayer meeting. And what happened was these, these prayer meetings, these noon prayer meetings sprung up in New York City, first of all. There wasn't a church in New York City that didn't have a noon prayer meeting after several months of this happening. God was on the move. And he needed one man to be courageous and step forward and get it started, just like Jonathan did, just like David did, just like Eliezer and Shammah, just like our Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, Jeremiah Lanfear stepped forward, and uh, this was a great revival. And it wasn't based on preaching. Uh, What would happen is that men and women would come and they would request prayer for people they knew who didn't know Jesus. And they would pray for them. And they'd come back the next week and say, so-and-so has received Christ. And some of them would, would be there with them. And then they would begin to pray for others. And it was a, a, a move of the Holy Spirit that occurred all over the nation just through prayer. And uh, so I'm I'm asking us today, what is God, what is God stirring in our hearts? What is God stirring in your heart? You might think, what can I do? You know, I, uh, I'm limited and perhaps I have some uh, limitations physically. I, I can't do some of the things that I once did or you might have some other reason why Maybe God would need to tap somebody else. But perhaps he's calling you and perhaps he's calling me to step forward and do a thing that nobody else will do. And as we do that, perhaps like in the case of Jonathan, God will be able to create something that will move to greater and bigger things. Perhaps The enemy will be routed as we take that one step of faith, of courage, and do what God has put on our heart to do. 
I want to encourage you to be open to those things and uh, to be courageous because God is up to some great things. Would you join me in prayer? Thank you, Lord, for this time we have to reflect on uh, a great man of the Bible, but also just a great act of courage and faith. I pray that as we're praying, that you might begin to stir our hearts to those things you're wanting us to do. And may we be courageous to do them. May we be willing and may we, like Jonathan, take that step of faith and do the thing that you put on our heart to do. May your kingdom increase. May people come to know Jesus. Uh, may people be helped and saved and healed. We pray these things in Jesus' name.